Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This episode of The Huddle is brought to you by The Athletic Club Oakland, my go-to sports bar in the East Bay. Look, this will be a shock to no one. I love watching sports, and I love it even more while at a sports bar. But to be honest, there was a long period of time where I just couldn't find one I actually liked. I'd find a spot that had TVs, but the food sucked ass, or a place that had good food, but they wouldn't show the game I wanted, and the inside felt dark and depressing. It was always some trade-off or sacrifice, and that's finally done now. The ACO is exactly what I'm looking for without sacrifice. They have a huge space, including an outdoor spot where they shut down an entire street and called it the town gardens. They have more than 100 televisions, which can and will show every game you ask for, and they have great food. The ACO has everything you need to comfortably watch your favorite team in any sport at any time with passionate fans. I love it, and I'm pretty damn sure you will too. The Athletic Club Oakland, where sports fans get everything they want every day they want it. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in the Where's Huddle with me, Bram, no Marcus or Maxime today. I'm fired up to announce that rejoining me after way too long, the former Golden State B writer for the Bay Area News Group, the current Western Conference specialist for NBA.com, and a man who was just too damn busy with a Peloton workout to join me last week, Mr. Mark Medina. What's going on, Mark? Bram, uh, lots going on. NBA season's about to start, and I got two things to share here. I mean, you can't blame me for saying, hey, I'm too busy. I'm on the Peloton. When you text me uh, in, in, in the middle of the week on a 4.30 late afternoon saying, hey, can you hop on the pod literally right now? It's like, <laughs> what the hell? Like Alex Tucson is telling me to validate my greatness and keep pedaling harder. I can't break a sweat there. So that's number one. Number two, I am still pumped, though, to join you this week. I got for the listeners who can't see this, I got the Warriors Huddle T-shirt here, ready to rock and roll. So, yeah, let's do it. I absolutely love it. I'm surprised you haven't defaced that T-shirt just to keep up with your uh, your personality on this. Well, show. well how, about, how about how about this? I'm not going to deface your T-shirt, Bram. I mean, I love it. I wear it, you know, when I work out on the Peloton bike <laughs> or when I go on hiking trails. But I was wondering, should I wear this in this specific setting? I was thinking of going to Lakers practice on Friday. LeBron James is scheduled to speak. Should I just bust Let's it go. out for him? To Hell yes. <laughs> yes. And suggested question. 
LeBron, is this your favorite shirt? And why is it your favorite shirt as a follow-up? I think that's phenomenal. Also, to give you some credit uh, for as long as we're being nice to one another here. So let the record reflect. Mark's 100% right. Uh, We got hit with an emergency request to do a podcast last week. And I sent out a flyer to Mark because I love our chemistry, knew that we could do it pretty easily, and gave him no time in between. Literally none. Can you hop on right now and record? And his response was so well put. And I don't have my phone with me. But it was something along the lines of, look, I need a little bit of heads up before I can join your award-winning podcast. And the way I read that was, look, fuck yourself. I'm important too. I need like some time. You can't just expect me to drop everything and hop on. But you said it in a much nicer fashion. So I appreciate it. You know I'm delicate, Mark. Thank you for doing okay. it. Uh, how about this? I'll read it verbatim and we'll let the audience decide. Was <laughs> I giving a polite after you or was I just being polite? I said, sorry, <laughs> man. Finishing up a Peloton and then dinner. Need an advance notice so I can join your award-winning show with an exclamation, exclamation point. point. Yeah. The exclamation point, I think, is the most important thing. Because that I think that's if it was just a period, that's a sarcastic flat fuck yourself. With the exclamation point, it was nice. I think it was nice. So we will. We will live it or leave it to uh, the listeners to decide. And we need you this week, man. We need you badly. Um, we've got a prediction contest. I think I desperately need you in to beat Bonte. I'll explain that in a second. But before we even get in that, I've got another rabbit hole for us to jump down. So in addition to prediction contests, we also have this dynasty bracket going. So you know me, I like using brackets. Right now we're using a bracket to figure out the most important members of the Warriors dynasty. And we're kind of into this thing. Last week, we determined the top 10. You helped me with that via text. This week, we knocked that top 10 down to our final four, uh, which shook out to be Steph v. Kerr and Clay v. Draymond, and we handled the Steph v. Kerr side of the bracket. Not shockingly, Steph walked away in kind of a blowout. But uh, even though we're going to handle the remaining pieces of this next week, I want your opinion on this stuff, Matt. Um, I was going to say, because we weren't going to be able to ask you next week, but if I'm being honest, it's because I probably want to steal some of your answers, and now is the best time to do that, right? So... Looking at the Kerr side of this, one of the questions we asked is Steve Kerr, the best coach to have come out of the Bay Area. And I've got a lot of pushback, Mark. Bill Walsh fans everywhere have jumped down my throat. So I'm going to change a little bit. The question I have for you is, is Steve Kerr the best coach in the NBA right now, in your opinion? Yeah, it's not even a debate. I mean, he has the most championships. He's coming off a championship. Um, You know, I think that there would be a debate, is he the best NBA coach of all time? I mean, I think... Red Arbach in his grave would right. argue otherwise. Phil Jackson somewhere in Montana right now enjoying peyote would say hell no. And uh, Greg Popovich, I presume he's enjoying a bottle of wine right now. He would have a retort to that. Um, but, you know, outside of those three candidates, uh, I, I think, hey, number four on the list. I think the NBA had released in lieu of like the 75th anniversary uh, of the week, they didn't have a ranking, but he was among like the 15 greatest coaches. Yeah. I don't think you bat an eye over that. I mean, he's he's won uh, you know so many championships with the Warriors. I'm losing count. He had five as a player. Um, so yeah, he, he's the best coach right now. And then I think what's fascinating is that he's someone who feels like he can continue to get better, and there's been new challenges. First, it was, hey, can you you know oversee the Warriors winning a championship? He inherited a team that had a lot of talent, but, you know, he was also inheriting a team that was somewhat resentful and miffed that, hey, how could management fire Mark Jackson? He was the playoffs, right? But he was able to get them to another level. And then, you know, look, the dynasty years with Kevin Durant was a cheap code, but he was able to manage his personalities to make sure that 
no one's fighting each other, right? At, at least enough that it'll derail the encore product. And then last season, post Kevin Durant, they were able to win a championship, I think ar- arguably a year earlier than maybe what seemed to be more realistic. I mean, yes, you have Steph Curry, you have Clay and Draymond, but you had this nucleus of young players and you had guys like Andrew Wiggins right. and Jordan Poole that were special, but you don't know if that's enough. So I think what is cool is that there's always been all these wrinkles and coming into this season, there's a new wrinkle. Can they repeat? Can they now uh, you know, take off the training wheels with leaning even more on the young guys? Right. And can they manage uh, the all-stars without running them to the ground? Um, it's fascinating challenges that I think keeps him on his toes. There's multiple parts of that answer I loved. I love the reference to the nine titles he's won. I think he's got four as a player, so that brings us up to nine. I love the okay. idea that um, he is driving two cars at once. You know, he, he's both driving the championship. Let's make sure that Steph gets as many titles as he can, and the future bus. You know, let's see how these other guys are coming, and he's doing it, at, you know, in tandem. But the thing I think I like the most about that answer is the idea that Phil Jackson is somewhere in Montana right now on peyote, arguing with a cactus about where he stands. <laughs> Like the overall coaching uh, pyramid, man. Nicely played. Yeah, uh, but don't don't undercut it. It's got he's got five titles. He was part of the Laker, the the Bulls, three peat, and then two titles of the Spurs. I was testing you. I was testing you, and you've passed yeah. my test. So yeah, nicely played, man. I thought I might be able to sneak that by you. It, you you know what though? I was admittedly running, a, a losing track of how many titles he won with the Warriors. Uh, you know, we got 2015, 2017. 2018, 2022, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, okay, so he's got four. Yeah, there was a second, though, where I felt like maybe it's five, no, six. And, and you played that, so that was kind of like a judo attack. I, I passive-aggressively tried to be the right one there, and then you ended up being the right one anyways, which sucks for me, but, you know, what can you do, man? Here's uh, another Dynasty question for you, and this is the matchup that we're going to be taking up next week, and I'm worried about it, man. I have no idea even how to approach it. So maybe you can just give me the answer. The matchup on the other side of this final four bracket is Clay v. Draymond. So it's not who's the better player. It's who has contributed more to the Warriors dynasty. How would you approach that question? What are you thinking? Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, it would be a seven-game series. It's a toss-up because obviously Clay complements Steph perfectly because he's an amazing shooter. Draymond complements Steph. Steph perfectly because he's an additional playmaker and he's a guy who can set picks for Steph, pass the ball to Steph. And, uh, you know, he's, he's the heart and soul of the team with the defense. Um, and, and then you break it down. Clay is no maintenance. He doesn't worry about, you know, how much money he's gaining in a contract. He's not worrying about the limelight, but then you look at someone like Draymond. Uh, he's the guy who recruited to get someone like Kevin Durant on the sure. team. He's been maybe a little bit more active, as far as, you know, twisting people's arms to make sure, hey, let's let's get you as a free agent as a, at a discounted price. So that that one's a toss-up, but, you know, I would give the slight edge to Draymond. Wow. Um, you know, nothing against Clay. You know, things happen, but the injury was what it was. But I think the most important thing is where I would give the edge to Draymond is that when you're looking at the duos, right, among – Staff and Katie and Steph and Clay and Steph and Draymond. I think it's without dispute, Steph and Durant are the most talented duo right. for who they are in the NBA. But I think Steph and Draymond are the most important duo because of how they complement each other. You know, 
Steph does things that Draymond could never do. <laughs> no offense, Draymond, but Steph is an amazing shooter. And while he's improved as a shooter, let's just call a spade a spade. He's I don't not think he's always knocking them down at a predictable rate. Same thing with Steph. No offense, you're improving as a defender, <laughs> a willing defender, but Draymond's got the defensive thing down pat where you're looking at Steph and Clay. They both can do one thing really, really effing well, shoot the ball. And so when you're looking at, at that from a team perspective, um, it's the yin and the yang. It's also the leadership component. Steph is the empowering teammate. Draymond's the demanding teammate. Um, so it, it's just a perfect match made in heaven where I, I would, uh, because of that, I would give the slight edge to Draymond. I like the tandem analysis. You know, if this was like a, if I was playing NBA jams with this team, the two people I would pick is probably Steph Curry and Draymond Green to handle yeah. the offense and the defensive side. You're absolutely right on that. And without giving a firm response, because I'm going to save my powder for next week when we really go this, one of the things that sticks out to me about Draymond's value. So you look at the Warriors' impact, right? Not just their titles, but what they have done to the league. Well, offensively, they've changed everything. You know, when they first start this run, you shooters couldn't win championships. Now you need shooting to win championships. So their impact on that side of the ball is unquestioned. But defensively, in a lot of ways, they've had a similar impact. You know, right now, the vogue thing to do is have players have stretch wings who can switch everywhere on anything. A lot of that started with Draymond Green's ability to do that, you know, and so his impact on the game, at least on the defensive side, is arguably close to Steph's. We'll we'll save the rest of that conversation for next week. Here's my last dynasty question for you. When you think back on Steph, right, what moments stick out? I mean, you you have had a chance. You've watched history up close. You know, in, in 20 years, when people are looking back and talking about this dynasty, you were right there, man. You were on the sideline watching it. So not like the most important moments or not even necessarily your favorite moments, just the ones that stick out to you immediately when you think back. Yeah, I mean, there's so many you can choose from, right? But if I had to, like, pick three out of a hat, I would say that one crazy, ridiculous uh, you know, step back three that he shot against the Clippers where it had, you know, the cameras were zoomed in on Steve Kerr where he's just like tearing his hair out and saying like, <laughs> what the F? And then all of a sudden it's like, good shot. Like that encapsulates like Steph can do whatever he wants. And that was the moment of clarity for Steve Kerr that Steph's changing the game yeah. and you better, you may as well just enjoy the ride than get aggravated about it because <laughs> nine times out of 10, Steph's shot is going to go in. And it was, I think, a turning point that, hey, you know what? There's no such thing as a bad shot from Steph Curry anymore. Uh, Number two, I think it would probably be this past year, even though, you know, Steph's greatness invades the multiple championship runs. You know, just him setting uh, the NBA three-point record officially. I mean, we knew well before that that Steph Curry is the greatest shooter of all time. But just to see that moment where it's official, he's in the record books, it's at the Garden. He's having Ray Allen and Reggie Miller embrace him in person. That was amazing. And I would say the finals moment in the garden where he just went full unleashed Steph, you know, at a time when, you know, there's no Kevin Durant. So this idea of, oh, you're a complimentary player. Well, happy to that. Number two, Draymond was not playing at his best so much that Steve Kerr decided to bench him in critical parts of the fourth quarter. And here it didn't matter because Steph Curry was Steph up and Curry. So those are the three moments. And then 
get this uh, thought out in the universe because you, you mentioned the NBA jam analogy. I mean, I was having these thought bubbles. Can you imagine if that duo wasn't an actual NBA jam game back in the day? Steph Curry, obviously, his ball would be on fire all the time. So you would just be shooting half court, automatic make. See, imagining Draymond Green on defense, being able to just shove. The shove. Yeah, the shove. They, they don't the get a pass to half court. Amazing. They're not getting and across no, half court. And, and obviously no foul. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, all those things I was saying at Draymond, like not that Bob Myers needs any more material because he's been on record, I think, in a podcast interview recently with Tim Kawakami about, hey, like, we're extending Draymond. Like, we'll figure out the finer deals. But the idea of, like, they're going to try to cheapen his deal and let him walk, like, that's not happening. But if there ever is a moment of doubt, like, he can use that reel that I just recorded about him. Yep. He can listen to that. And, uh, you know, maybe it helps. <laughs> the Just piggybacking on some of the stuff you said and really highlighting the tandem, right? So that Steph's moment in the garden, one of the details that's come out of that is the suggestion that Draymond was having a little trouble with all the heat that the Boston crowd was giving him. And Steph was purposely, as he screamed, give me my fucking ring, taking on the onus from the crowd to help Draymond out, which is a huge credit to him. And then another thing I want to get into the universe, and I'm surprised I haven't said so far. So we have given Kerr an incredible amount of credit for benching Draymond, and he deserves it. You know, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, Although I heard a podcast appearance with Kerr where he said, look, I wasn't benching Draymond. What I was doing was going in a different direction for a moment, and then that that team got hot, and I didn't want to mess with the chemistry. But uh, I digress. If yes, he was, he, in fact... <laughs> yes, he, what he said was, yes, I was benching Draymond because I had better options. And usually, <laughs> benching Draymond is not the better option. So, yeah, like... Our whole our argument, tomato, tomato, that's oh. what Steve Kerr was doing. He and was trying to massage it a little bit. You're definitely right. He and, did what I'm, he did. I'm getting lost in the details because the credit I want to give is to Draymond. The, the, if that's me, if I'm used to being the emotional um, uh, rod for the team, and now it hasn't worked out, right? I, I'm playing poorly. The head coach has sat me down, and the team has done better after I've sat. Do you know how hard it would be for me to make an impact after that, Mark? You know, how easy yeah. it would be to like retreat in my shell and be like, I guess I'm done. You know, like I, I can't. And instead of doing that, Draymond collected his shit, got back out there and then contributed towards that fourth championship, which is such a credit to his mental game. That's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. And look, that whole incident, I think, encapsulates a few things of like what makes the Warriors so special. You have a coach in Steve Kerr that who has the stones to make a tough decision in the heat of the moment. Um, you also have some valuable role players that help calm Draymond Green down, even if they're not uh, putting up numbers. You have guys, and he's been on record in his podcast praising them. Gary Payton II, Juan Toscano-Anderson. Yep. Guys, uh, you know, obviously GP2 had a significant rotation role last year. Now since going to Portland, GTA didn't so much, but hey, he stayed professional. They helped calm him down. But then you also credit to Draymond. He obviously was very upset. He acknowledged it as such. And why wouldn't he? It's Draymond up in green in the NBA Finals. But he was able to compartmentalize all those emotions in real time on the fly immediately where he had the moment of being pissed off on the bench. But when it was time to back on the floor when Steve Kerr needed him, he was ready. He made some amazing passes, some timely screens in the final two minutes of that game that really ensured that the Warriors would walk out of the garden with that victory. And so I think 
to uh, you know tie this all up in a bow. I think what Draymond did, and I don't ever verbalize this, but obviously his actions showcase this. He obviously was very pissed off for competitive reasons, but not only did he want to do the right thing because he's wants to win the game and he wants to do what's good for the team, but I think it's one of those things where he has so much pride as a player and he has so much of an ego that he's not going to allow this single thing to derail what he wants to do. Sure. You know, it's almost like if you're upset with a boss or whatever, it's like, I'm not going to allow this person to make me mad because I'm not, you know, I don't have respect for that person. I'm going to dictate how, how the end result is going to be. So I think that's what Draymond did. Here's a terrible, um, unnecessarily nerdy analogy. He is like Bruce Banner. Once Bruce Banner learned how to control his emotions and and only turn Hulk when he wanted it, right? I mean, like he has weaponized his anger. When the anger helps him, he uses it on the floor. When it doesn't, he's able to cur- you know curtail it, stop, reorganize it, and then get back out there, um, which I sure shit couldn't do, and most people can't. So credit to Draymond. All right, let's turn our attention to beating Bonte, man, because I am tired of this fool. So set up. Every year we do predictions, just like every show. You know, it's it's the uh, currency of the offseason. But our show handles them a little bit differently, as you know, Mark. We've got a guy out there listening, Matty Stats. He writes down all of our guesses and then gives us percentages at the back end. In fact, your percentages are amongst the top five. I don't like giving you. Nice. Yeah, I don't like giving My you credit. Am I number two behind? I'm not going to tell you that. Like- I'm not going to tell you that. I'm just going to tell you top five for now. But you do have a chance to be number one. All right. So our our reigning champion is Bonte. He's gone back to back. We need to take him down, and I am so eager for that. I'm offering up a bounty. So we've taken a hundred dollars from the huddle money. I'm putting it on the table. There are six questions I've already answered. Bonte's already answered. Some of the listeners have already answered. I'm going to give them to you at the end of this. Maddie Stats will let us know. Who you know who had the uh, the highest percentage right out of these six, and then that hundred dollars will go to that person. Here's our first: What teams will make the playoffs in the West? Oh, this is a tough one. I mean, I'm going to have to load up the uh, standings yeah, first so of all. Them. But sure. but 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 uh, I mean, to make it clear, it's. Warriors and Clippers are going to be number one, number two, assuming no major injuries to either. I know that's more of a question mark with the Clippers because Kawhi Leonard, Paul George haven't really been a clean bill of health ever, ever since going there. But I have relative optimism. So we got and John we, Wall. We, John Wall hasn't been the picture of health really either. Yeah, so exactly, yeah, we'll, we'll see what exactly. goes down there. Exactly. But I I think it's confident enough. He's making a playoff. So so I got Warriors, Clippers. I got Phoenix. Memphis, so that's four. Yep. Um, we got we got Dallas at five. We got Denver at six. Um, I guess that, those are the definitive six, right? Yep. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, man. It was a lot easier when you didn't have to do the playing tournament, right? Um, yeah, I'm going to have the Lakers as a playing tournament. Uh, All right. At number seven. Uh, number eight, I'll have Minnesota. And then number nine, I'll have New Orleans. And number 10, I'll have Portland. 
So, so am I having to pick the completely correct order or just the combination of the Just teams? the combination. And, and we okay. will cut it at eight. Um, so it's, it's the eight teams who ultimately find themselves uh, in, the, in the real playoff bracket. Do you want to stick with the eight you gave me? Well, let, let's reevaluate. I mean, the, the obvious again, and this is more of just trying to validate it. Okay, yep. we got Clippers. We got Warriors Clippers. Yep. Phoenix and Memphis. Those are the shoe-ins, number four for sure. Um, yeah, Dallas, you can't rule out Luka. And Denver probably too. Denver's pretty good. Jokic, Shamal yep. Murray's coming back. Yeah, those are the definitive six. Six, yep. Uh, I have a lot of question marks about the Lakers, but LeBron James is on the team. I, I don't think that um, – it's going to be a disaster of some sort, but it's not going <laughs> to match last season's disaster game by game. <laughs> I'll give them the play in tournament candidacy. And then, yeah, the, the number eight's fascinating because I, I like Minnesota, the Rudy Gobert trade. They had to give up a lot to get him. Exactly but right. I do like that they went all in because, look, he's a defensive player of the year yeah. candidate. And New Orleans uh, yeah. is good. Zion is back. All the reports out of that camp are that he looks phenomenal. Yeah, Zion's back. And then Portland, Damian's back. I think unlike last a few off seasons while they didn't make a blockbuster trade. At least they didn't just shuffle role players in and out. They made a tough but necessary decision to trade CJ McCollum at the trade deadline. They had a nice number seven pick to use on Shaden Sharp. Anthony Simon seems to be a nice young player and, you know, they still have Nurkic on the team. So yeah, man, to be the number eight spot though. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to go with, um, I'll have to go with Minnesota. Uh, we are very similar. I, I have replaced the Lakers with New Orleans, and one of the things I was listening, everything else is, we, we had seven of our teams are identical. The only difference is I have New Orleans over there. The Lakers. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Which leads to this. So you are, you know, they're in your backyard, man. You are, you're covering these guys. You, you know, I'm sure you're at media day. Uh, What are the Lakers expectations for this year. I mean, are, are, if, if you put truth serum in, you know, LeBron's drink and he actually had to answer the question, do they view themselves as title contenders? You know, like, is that, is that an actual um, goal for them this year? Or is it no, you know, let's just get back to respectability. Well, the baseline minimum is they got to make the plan tournament um, or else there's going to be front office changes. I mean, that was very clear to me when I got together with Jeannie Buss at Summer League in Vegas. Uh Um, You know, she was on record saying, yeah, we don't make the playoffs. Like, uh, she didn't guarantee there would be front office changes, but she didn't rule it out. (laughs) Um, So I think 
forward, if the roster is where it is now, um, it's about making the playoffs and then hoping that they can be a matchup problem because you have LeBron James on the yeah. team. And, hey, if healthy, Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook and Pat Beverly are decent players. But clearly they try to entertain trade deals with Russ this summer. Uh, there wasn't much of a market. And, you know, they were hesitant to trade their draft picks. Now, Rob Palenka, I thought, thoughts of something very notable and interesting in media day. He's on record saying, look, like I'm not against trading the draft picks, the two draft picks that yep. we have, but it has to be the right deal. You only have one shot to do it. So I think clearly they don't feel that this is a championship roster, but it's a matter of being in the trade deadline. Sure. Can they get that right trade w- where they feel that that gets to them to that championship level? Um, they don't, take it lightly that LeBron James decided to agree to an extension this past summer where, you know, he very well could have treated them like the Cleveland Cavaliers as he did in multiple seasons where it's like, you know what, I'm going to ride this until I become a free agent to try to exert uh, pressure. He didn't do that. Now, part of it is circumstantial. He's at the tail end of his career. I think he's content with being settled in LA because of where he's at and the fact that his son, is in L.A. playing there. He doesn't exactly want to make them relocate or he doesn't exactly want to be a father from afar. Uh, But I think there is a level of trust that LeBron James has shown in the front office that he feels that they aren't going to just treat him as if, hey, it's going to be riding out LeBron James's final years and give him a farewell tour. They will be aggressive. So if the roster stands pat the way it is, I think internally they just think they can make the playoffs and then, you know, once you're in the playoffs, all bets are off. But uh, they're not settled with the roster that they have. So we'll have to see what happens before the trade deadline. The fact that you added Pat Beverly in there, you know, if healthy and Davis is pretty wrestle. And then that Pat Beverly added into that list shows just where that fucking franchise is, man. I'm, and I couldn't be happier to say it. Question number two. Hey, hey, before I interject here, he is a culture changer. And look, if they get back to the play-in tournament and say they beat the beat the Clippers or some any other team in the play-in tournament or Minnesota, right? I guarantee Pat Bev will do a sequel to last year, what he did with Minnesota, where he gets up on the scorer's table, he takes off his jersey, he celebrates, and everyone at the arena will be cheering and loving it. I get the feeling while that, you guys up in the Bay will be mocking us. No, I will be hating it. And I don't think there's a very high bar to get Pat Beverly to strip off his jersey and celebrate. I feel like if he like successfully finishes a Gatorade, he has that celebration. But I guess we'll see. We'll see how this year plays out. Second question How many regular season wins will the Warriors end up with to give you Ooh. a little bit of information? Last year was 53. ESPN came out with predictions based on their statistical models um, that was released either today or yesterday, and it caught my eye because they had them at 47.3, although the explanation underneath said, look, these these models uh, tend to really focus on regular season. Last year, regular season didn't include uh, Clay and Steph and Dre on the same court for a long period of time, so this model may be broken, but there's the information we have. What do you think, man? How many wins this year? Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, you know, usually when you're coming off a back-to-back season, I mean, the Warriors have been a lot better the following year. I mean, they set the NBA record the last time uh, in 2016. But, you know, the previous championship in 2018 and the 19 when they lost in the finals, it was kind of the dealing with the element of burnout and how do you, how do they stay engaged and all yeah. that. Um, 
I think this is a little bit different where, you know, Steph and Clay and Draymond feel refreshed and eager to prove it again. I think Clay is going to be better than last year because he didn't have a half of a season to adjust post Achilles. But I think there's also going to be some growing pains for the young guys because now they're thrust into bigger roles. So on one hand, maybe that will afford Steve Kerr to play their all-star players fewer minutes, but it might also lead to fewer wins. So they're in that weird gray area. But if I had to guess when you add all the variables, I think they're actually going to have more regular season wins than the 53. I think they end up with 57. Um, That's my number on the nose. You you and I are thinking very, uh, very alike today. Here, this question will separate us. What's Steph's highest point total during the regular season? Oh, well, yeah, I mean, he's he's always due for anything, right? Um, I think his highest point total, I can give him a, a 45 burger. That, that'll be pretty fun. But uh, I think Steve Kerr is going to be Steph Curry's greatest opponent, as, as Steph has jokingly <laughs> said in past years when he's been asked, who's the toughest uh, person who's – or who's the toughest opponent you face? And he says, Steve Kerr, when he takes me off the court. <laughs> so I think he's going to do that, you know, be conservative with the minutes. If there's any sort of ailment that comes up, yeah, he doesn't need him to be a regular season hero. It's about the playoffs. But, yeah, I mean, as you know, Steph Curry is always, uh, you know, due for any magical Steph Curry game because he's Steph Curry. Who has more technicals on the year, Draymond Green or, and this is a random one, Trey Young. So here's where it came from. Oh. The NBA has has a you know a number of random ass stats that all entertain me. One of them is how many technicals a player averages per game, and the top two people are Draymond. Draymond averages 0.26, and Trey Young, who averages 0.23. So apparently, Trey is out there talking all types of shit and catching texts. I had no idea. So looking at next year, which one of these players ends up with more technical fouls? I, I think a Draymond Green's going to hold that title, not just because, you know, that's something a Draymond Green does, but think of the context <laughs> here. He's he's in off-season removed from the FU tour where he's been, like, embracing the whole Warriors <laughs> pettiness of, like, clapping back at any slight real or imagined. I think he's carrying that into the regular season. And look, any sort of issue that he has on the court, ejection, arguing with a call, it's just podcast material after the game. So... <laughs> Yeah, Draymond's leading the uh, leading over Trey Young and technicals. Not just because he's Draymond Green, but there's two extra variables that will contribute to the total. I haven't answered this one yet. I will follow you on this, Draymond. Absolutely, and I like the idea of a you know who the hell I am tour. You know, just coming out here and just embracing his inner villain and making sure that everybody remembers who's the king of the technical game. Mark, who wins the MVP? Ooh, you mean of the league? League, yeah. yeah. Oh man. No, I mean of the preseason. Of course, of the league. What are you talking about? Is I think not within MVP? the. Well, I was thinking within the Warriors. Like, oh man, this is this is a uh, a very good question. Um, I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be Luka Doncic. You know, because Luka continues to obviously elevate his greatness. And, um, you know, they got to the West Finals last year. They kind of tasted that success. And, look, I think they're going to take a step back because they lost Jalen Brunson. Um, But I think that that's going to require 
Luka Doncic to raise his game yeah. even more. So I think the stars are aligned for uh, for Luka to get his first MVP. I ended up liking Luka way more after the playoffs last year. So I, I mean, you that? know, so I'm a psychopath. You know this. And when players play well against my team, I end up hating them personally, which I can't justify, and that's a terrible thing. And so for years, without really knowing anything about Luka, I've developed this like frothy hatred for him because he's kicked our ass multiple times. Well, during that last Western Conference Finals, one, most importantly, the Warriors won, so it allowed me to actually see how good he was without getting defensive. But two, after he got dunked on by Wiggins, Luka came out and was basically saying, look, great play. I, I wish I had legs like that. I wish I could do something. And the humbleness he showed, instead of getting defensive, instead of doing something like what I would imagine John Morant would have done, it made me really appreciate him. Um, and so, no, I'm, I'm a Luka Doncic fan now. You know what? Uh, that makes sense. I mean, now that I'm thinking about to add to your uh, analysis there, I mean, consider when the Warriors eliminated the Mavericks. I mean, first of all, he was kissing the ring yep. in multiple ways. I loved. Talk yep. about how great Steph Curry is, number one, and how he's just this amazing talent. But two, I mean, he talked about, you know, these guys are the standard. This is what we want. Yep. So, yeah, he he was all about kissing the ring and it's a huge contrast to like the Grizzlies nonsense. We're like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's total like little brother inferiority complex. And, you know, I, 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 I totally appreciate the fact that they, they're not necessarily afraid of the Warriors yep. and they brought their competitive juices. They challenged the Warriors, but like, you know, just the politicking that Taylor Jenkins was dealing with like, you know, Jordan Poole and yes. John Morant, like that was just so nonsensical. Obviously the Dylan Brooks and, and look, like I got to just call a spade a spade here. Now that we're on the subject as much as the Grizzlies were amazing uh, with how they've grown and look, they challenged the Warriors, that whole series in itself, just as an objective observer kind of rubbed me the wrong way with, you know, just the dirtiness and the politicking. And, and I thought at that time, that they disappointingly changed their identity. Like the Grizzlies had been known for grit and grind. Their identity in that series was snitch and wine. Oh, right? let's go. All right. Yeah. Mark, I'd like I'd like to take this as a moment to apologize for not giving you any heads up last week. You are now my favorite guest. I should not have bothered your Peloton uh, session at all. And so you have my standing apologies. Here's our last question. Who wins the title? Uh, you know the the I think the Warriors and the Clippers. It's it's a toss up. If I had a guess, I think I think it's the Warriors that. Let's go. Here. You Let's know go, what? Because Mark. look, I mean, we all know the positive elements. You got the All Stars. You got the young players. You got Steve Kerr's coaching, the front office. You know, synergy. Um, but as far as the Clippers, it could be a seven game series. But there's always question marks about the health. And I, I am bullish. I think Kawhi Leonard. He's going to be able to have a good season. It's not like he's going to have some sort of significant ailment. But the reality is he's going to be load managed because that's how he always is. And they're always, unfortunately for them, have always been things that come up. So I don't think it's going to be one of those things where, like it was last season, where just injuries ultimately derailed everything. But it's going to slow down their regular season success, and it could have some carryover. Sure into the postseason. I think it's going to be West Conference between uh, the Warriors and Clippers seven games. But if you had to give an edge, I think you give it to the Warriors there because of those reasons. And when you're looking at the East, I mean, look, the Milwaukee Bucks are amazing yep. because Giannis is Giannis. Chris Middleton's back and healthy. 
they have most of their core back. I thought it was going to be, you know, maybe the Boston awesome. Celtics too, but man, that's that Ime Adoka situation is is very unfortunate for a team aspect, and I just obviously really feel for the victims involved there. But you know, from a basketball standpoint, I thought that they could come back to the finals, but that could be a very significant thing to overcome. And then the rest of the East, like the Nets, I mean, you can dismiss their drama at their uh, at your own peril because of how talented they are, but. I just feel like there's always something that's going to come up with Kyrie, Simmons, and Durant. And then, you know, with the Sixers, I like what they did in the offseason, but, and I also compliment James Harden for being self aware of, hey, if I want a better roster around me, I got to like be willing to take a pay cut. But I also am a little uh, skeptical about his game and, you know, his health. So I think the East is basically the Bucks and, I was really no one else. <laughs> I was genuinely worried about Boston going into the offseason and and after the the Brogdon signing specifically because they had two things, Mark. They had continuity and they had additional talent onto a team that was just in the finals, you know? Well, what they just lost in this last week, week and a half is continuity. You know, no. even if they carry over the system, even if the new coach Joe um, Marizzo, I'm not sure how to say his last name, even if he uses the exact same Udoka system, he's going to do it in his own unique way and they lose continuity because of that. So I think you're on the money. Um, those are our six questions and I should let you go, but instead... I got to ask a piece of advice, man. Um, so I've got this new segment and I've been so fired up for it, but I'm not sure it's a good idea. And you are the man to help pilot me through this. All right. So the segment is called who wants to be a billionaire. And here's the idea. We've got a email account. You know that. And like all email accounts, we get junk mail. And if I'm being honest with you, I've been secretly hoping we would get a certain piece of junk mail. I wanted the Nigerian prince fake scammer email. And the idea would be, look, I get this email. Then we we screw around with the scammer. We talk about the actual back and forth on the podcast. And we kind of use the experience for content. And it would be the kind of thing that would be perfect for the offseason. Well, Mark, I got the email. It, it's not actually from a Nigerian prince, but it's close enough. Uh, I've got the thing in front of me and here's how it reads quote, dear sir, I am a Canadian. See a copy of my international passport. They did by the way, include a copy of a Canadian passport picking it back up right now. I'm in France trying to procure my late father's death certificate. Next I'll move to Germany where the bank is situated. If you help me, I can provide many funds from that bank. It continues the capital in question is a total sum of, and get this, Mark, $7,500,000,000. This person wants to cut me in on $7,500,000,000, and all I have to do is, quote, uh, provide a bank account where the funds could be transferred, and then you can manage the fund for me while I continue my studies in your country. So Canadian billionaire wants to hook me up. This is the scenario I have been waiting for. And so what I want to do shoot them an email, keep them on the hook, have some fun, share the experience on the podcast. But I Googled it and I reached out to a friend and they both said this, uh, quote, don't reply even out of curiosity to emails or any form of communication from someone misrepresenting themselves as a foreign government or business official or foreign millionaire uh, asking for help transferring a large sum of money. So my question to you is, Mark, should I stay out of this? Should I, I mean, should I jump into this and make it a segment and see where we can go? 
Or maybe I'm just inviting problems and stay on the outside because you are way more responsible than I am. I need your uh, your responsible take here. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to ruin your content for the show. But number one, there is always enough good content for the show. And number two, yeah, I, it would probably be the most safest route not to answer. But, you know, I'll entertain the hypothetical here just, just for the sake of it. Um, I could see a possible compromise. What if you go the Kevin Durant route, create a burner email account, and respond to that email from that account? That way, there's no other emails that, like, maybe they could compromise or have, you know, access to, right? And then play the game around. And, you know, since we're talking Warriors on a Warriors Huddle podcast, like, Maybe bait him saying, hey, like, I can give you these amazing courtside seats at a Warriors game or these Steph Curry jerseys or whoever. You go down the other All-Stars, Clay and Raymond or Durant. Uh, but all you need to do is, you know, wire me something and then see what they say. It would be amazing. <laughs> you could almost and, – and here's the thing. I don't think that you would be charged with the scam because all you're doing is offering them a – possibility because they're the ones who solicited the contact a counter bullshit offer i love the idea of the burner account and what i might do is create a burner account you know write this person yep i'm definitely down any way i can help and then send them a bank account that's one number short and then just keep doing that you know like no no no. like really i want to give you my bank account information here it is and then it's like shorter routing number or shorter banking number like whatever and see how angry i can get them also in related news the next time you talk to me i'll like all of my personal information will have been stolen you know like they're using my credit credit cards out there. I turned this stupid segment into a lifetime full of problems, but I, it might be worth it. Hey, how about this? You, you Were you a Seinfeld fan back in the day? Yeah, sure. Okay, so for comedic purposes, just to see if that gets the joke, you could give him your secret code. Uh, I actually saw this the other day where it was the whole idea that George's fiance wanted the code to his ATM account and he <laughs> wouldn't give it like he wants that independence, but all of a sudden like Jay Peterman wanted it because his mom was about to die. And George wound up give, uh, saying it to the mom who was about to die it was Bosco. So give that code to that person say, Hey, you know, the secret code of my account is Bosco. Bosco and see if, see if that person picks up on the Seinfeld reference. <laughs> I literally in college, I think senior year had a fight with a remarkably good friend because I wouldn't give him my ATM code. Like he was like, he was going to go and I think he was going to get money out for me. I don't remember the circumstance, but I do remember literally thinking for like five seconds, am I going to get, no, I'm not. And then blowing the friendship. And I stand by it, by the way, on the off chance that that friend is listening, I still wouldn't give you the fucking code. It is what it is. I don't trust you. Yeah. And look, you know what? Especially in 22, everyone, uh, justified to never under any circumstances share the ATM. Cause it's like, Hey, like if you need money in a pitch, we have this thing called Venmo or Zell. like <laughs> problem solved. There's no need for me to give you my ATM card to go to the bank. Yeah, just to show you that I really trust you, Mark, my, uh, my code is Bosco. You can use it at any point. Love it, love yeah, it. it is up to you, Mark. I appreciate you. It is phenomenal having you back. I am sure I'm not the only one feeling that way for people who need more Medina in their life. Where do they turn? All right, well, I'm a frequent guest on Warriors Huddle, so keep uh, listening to Bram's excellence there. So that's number one. Number two, work at NBA.com. So go there at NBA.com, do some work for NBA TV. I'm also a contributor uh, to different uh, TV markets. If you're in L.A., if you're a Warriors fan, you want to boo LeBron at a home game, 
well, hey, I'm on Spectrum Sportsnet, sometimes NBCLA, and then I also uh, do some work for Fox Sports Radio and their TV shows. So, uh, you know, my platform is is on all those channels, and then my Twitter handle is Mark G underscore Medina. Multifaceted. I am impressed. We are far more simple. You want to reach out to us, get us a question to answer. Let us know we did a good job, bad job, any job. Shoot us an email, especially if you're a Canadian billionaire who needs some help transferring funds. You can send that email to huddle at warriorshuddle.com. And we still have our Twitter account, which is at Warriors Huddle. With that in mind, go Warriors. Hopefully, see you next week. Good, good.